0: The competitive world of sports can bring out the best in people, but it can also bring out the worst. Going all the way back to ancient Greece, the need to
1: win has led many athletes and officials to behave in sometimes unscrupulous ways.
0: Hello Lance Armstrong and Tanya Harding. On today's countdown, we're going to get into the murky crimes committed by athletes and also those behind the scenes.
1: And the person at number one on today's list is the worst of the worst. But the law did eventually catch up to him, just too many years too late.
0: Hey all you weirdos, welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast research gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 college
1: sports crimes. I really hope that this, like, doesn't shock the masses, (laughs) but I know literally nothing about college sports. No? No. I'm, like, not very into sports myself. I don't know if that shows. Like, unless you count RuPaul's Drag Race as a sport.
0: (laughs) Which uh, I do. Me as well. I definitely do. (laughs) I was a big sports person in high school, and I still like to watch some sports. John and I... You know, we used to go to baseball games. We went to Red Sox games. We went to Celtics oh, yeah. games all the time, especially before kids. You guys <laughs> were crazy. a different game like every other weekend. Yeah, it was just a thing we used to do all the time. And in high school and before that even, my sport was softball. Oh, I yeah. did it year-round I did it in the winter time in a dome league. I was doing it all the time. And I pitched throughout high school and a little into college, but then I gave it up. So I didn't get the full college sports experience. I do kind of miss it, though.
1: I could see that. Yeah. You were a beast in high school. Thank like, you. This girl pitched <laughs> every inning of every game to the point where she was like, my shoulder's going to blow out. Like, you've got to take me out of here. And then because we went to the same high school and I was like, yeah, like I'll play softball for something to do. The coaches thought <laughs> I was going to be some kind of beast too. And it was a huge awakening for them when I was not even the slightest bit good. Like they were like, do you share any of the same genes?
0: You know what though? You were a great hitter. That's just You can hit the ball with the best of them. A lot of people can hit the ball. I think that's like the easiest part. I think you were great at that.
1: Well, I was (laughs) all right at that. I think the best thing that I did, like the good things that I did, I'm a good teammate, I think. You are. And like, I love team bonding things. Like my coach the first year that (laughs) I played, he was Elena's coach for like years and years. I know for a fact he was not very pleased (laughs) when I threw this big team get together. And we all designed bows for our hair to wear for the next game. I do remember Color coordinated and everything. Thing. It was like sports, but make it fashion. I have no words.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm truly
1: (laughs) speechless. (laughs) Honestly, the theme of being speechless will probably come back to you again at number one. Because this guy I have at number one, there's not even words to describe what a monster this human being is. I am
0: wondering if it's who I think it is. I'm you might have it on the news. Yeah, I'm thinking.
1: Well, that's how this whole thing works. Elena has five college sports crimes, and so do I. But neither of us knows who is on the other one's list. Let's start the countdown.
2: The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even the speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. This is what you love about the NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it the new moneymaker scratch off from the ohio lottery doesn't beat around the bush money maker play the game and you could win money up to two million dollars with more than 88 million in prizes ranging from 50 to 500 moneymaker cuts right to the cash lottery players are subject to ohio laws and commission regulations play responsibly hi i'm blair want to hear something scary Join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories that I learn on my travels around the world and that we receive from listeners like you. But only if you think you can handle it. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sweet screams. 10.
0: I'll start us off with number 10, the Crosstown Shootout Brawl. For about 100 years in Cincinnati, Ohio, the Crosstown Shootout has been one of the biggest rivalries in college basketball. In 2011, things got particularly fierce. The rivalry is between the Xavier University Musketeers and the University of Cincinnati Bearcats, located just a few miles from each other. December 10th, 2011, the Musketeers were leading the Bearcats at the Musketeers' home arena. When the players left the court at halftime, a player for Xavier exchanged words with one of the Cincinnati players. I like how you worded that. You can't see it, but I said, exchanged with air quotes. Yeah, (laughs) quote unquote. Air bunnies. Back on the court after halftime and with only 18.6 seconds left on the clock, Xavier Player 2 Holloway scored, giving the Musketeers a substantial lead. Ooh, a nail-biter. I can feel it. Holloway decided to take this moment to mock and yell at Cincinnati's bench. And that's when a Cincinnati player confronted Holloway.
1: It's also just like, that's annoying. Like, you you got the...
0: You yeah. Know, whatever. You got the lead. Yeah. Just go, you know, go Sports. Forth. You go, go the and prosper. Just go ahead and go. You got the sports. There you go. <laughs> now, this started an all out brawl between the rivals. The coaches had to pull the players off from one another. Wow. One of Xavier's players left the court with a bloodied face after getting punched and kicked by Cincinnati players. That is not sportsmanship. No. At all. You learn that when you are little, like you don't punch and kick another player. That's just the way it is. Yeah. That's like day one stuff. The game was called with 9.4 seconds remaining. Xavier won 76-53. to 53. Several players were suspended, but no charges were ever filed. At the post-game news conference, Xavier Player 2 Holloway said, quote, We're a tougher team. We're grown men over here. We've got a whole bunch of gangsters in the locker room. Not thugs, but tough guys on the court. And we went out there and zipped them up at the end of the game. Again, very sportsmanlike,
1: uh, sir." <laughs> Very. You're not, you're just there to play basketball. You're not there to rough anybody up. When you win, you win. Just be a good winner. Be a good winner. You know, be a good loser, be a good winner. Stay humble. Nine. At number nine is the Boston College Point Shaving Scandal. It's not often the criminal underworld and college sports collide, but they did in 1978 when players for Boston College men's basketball team had a run-in with some mobsters. Uh Uh-oh, that's the key word there. Doesn't uh sound great. It wasn't. The main kingpin in this point-shaving conspiracy was Henry Hill. Oh, Yes. (laughs) Okay. You know, and if you guys listening don't know, that's the mobster played by Ray Liotta in the movie Goodfellas. Yeah, no big deal. Casual. So in the late 70s, he conspired with Paul Mazie, Jimmy Burke, and brothers Rocco and Anthony Perla to fix Boston College basketball games. Such a random choice, I feel. (laughs) I know, it seems so. Like,
0: what? Like, Like, why college basketball? But. College, it's huge. Especially around here in Boston, Yeah, and you look at, like, March Madness. Oh, yeah. It's huge. It's just so funny to me. Just ask my husband. It's
1: huge. John, is it huge? (laughs) So the initial scam to manipulate the scores started with Rocco Perla, who happened to have a friend who played for Boston College. That player was Rick Kuhn. Kuhn reportedly agreed for a fee to go in on the scam, and he in turn recruited two of his teammates, Ernie Cobb and Jim Sweeney, to be a part of it. Don't do it. Like no don't no, do no. It. it's so messy. Just the mob play. Is involved. Just play the game. Yeah, just play your game. But all they had to do was mess with their point spreads. But things didn't start off as hoped. In the first game, Boston College were supposed to win by less than 10 points. They won by 19. Yikes. Many more points. This obviously did not please Henry Hill, who told Sweeney and Kuhn, quote, it's hard to play basketball with a broken arm. Oh, I got to get out of here. This stresses me out so much. I just love the like, oh, like I'm going (laughs) to break your arms. It is hard to play basketball with a broken arm. One might say. With a broken arm, kid. Ah. On February 10th, 1979, Boston College played Holy Cross and were the underdogs. Kuhn and Sweeney had to lose by more than three points. But Boston College only lost by two points, and the gamblers made a massive loss, about $100,000. Oh no. So now they're going to break both your arms and maybe your ankles. Oh, I'm worried for them. When everyone realized the scam wasn't working as planned, they all moved on. That was until Henry Hill later got busted for other crimes. In 1980, when the FBI arrested him on drug charges, he confessed to the Boston College scam with the hope that he would get immunity. Of course he did. He's like, (laughs) I know that I got busted for drug charges, but what if I tell you about this little basketball scam I had going? Heck yes. How about that? A grand jury indicted Kuhn, Jimmy Burke, Paul Mazie, and the Perla brothers. They stood trial in 1981. Anthony Perla was sentenced to 10 years and his brother Rocco got four years. Jimmy Burke got 20 years and a 30 grand fine. Whoa. Yeah, that's that's rough. Kuhn was the only player to be convicted. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison for conspiring to manipulate the scores of six Boston College games. He only served 28 months in prison. Yikes. And Ernie Cobb's involvement cost him a future in the NBA. Was it worth it? Definitely not. That would really stink. Woof. Eight.
0: Number eight on our countdown of college sports crimes is Southern Methodist University's Death Penalty. From 1981 to 1984, SMU was one of the best college football teams in Division I. The Dallas-based private school had just 6,000 students at the time. So how did they get so big? I don't know. I'm gonna tell you. Really doesn't sound good. In 1976, Southern Methodist University hired Ron Meyer as their coach. One of his major recruits was now retired NFL player Eric Dickerson, who back then was one of the nation's best high school running backs. Dickerson had committed to Texas A&M, but at the last minute changed his mind and decided on SMU. Hmm. Why, sir? You know, just he's just thinking. Just a quick choice on my feet. Well, SMU's football team became unstoppable. Probably had something to do with it. But in 1981, the NCAA caught wind of the college's unethical recruiting practices and put them on a two-year probation for 29 recruiting violations. That's a lot of violations. A lot. So that probation included a one-year ban on network television appearances and bowl games, oh, which man. is like a
1: big deal for college sports. Yeah, definitely.
0: The NCAA sanctions didn't stop SMU from its illegal practices, though. The chairman of SMU's board of governors decided to keep playing the players. So they were just like, that whatever. It won't happen again. <laughs> In 1986, the team's former linebacker, David Stanley, went on television and exposed SMU. He said he was paid 25 dollars to sign with the school, and that he and his mother received $750 a month from the school's athletic department. I'll sign up. That's I'm not huge. saying that I'm good, but like, sign me up. But sign me up. After an investigation, the NCAA found that SMU's athletic department had paid out $61,000 to as many as 13 players between 1985 and 1986. Where, like, Where's this money coming like, from? What are you doing? And what are you doing? They are college players. They're right. supposed to be going to school while they play sports. Yeah. That's the whole point of this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. LOL. And on February 25th, 1987, for the first time in its history, the NCAA gave SMU the death penalty. Now, this meant that the team was suspended from the 1987 season. Four home games were removed from its roster in the 1988 season. The team's postseason bowl ban was extended until 1989, and they were stripped of 45 scholarship positions. That is definitely a death penalty. (laughs) That'll teach you a lesson. The restrictions the NCAA enforced on the team weakened the school's football program for more than a decade. They didn't have another winning season until 1997. I mean, that's like karma. Yeah, you do it dirty. Yeah, what do you want? Win the right way. Exactly. Seven.
1: At number seven this week is the 1961 NCAA basketball scandal. Point shaving makes its second appearance on today's countdown. This time, it involved not just one school, but 22, and resulted in dozens of players being arrested. The man at the helm of the scandal was a, quote, jailbird, a pornographer, and a loan shark. Okay. A <laughs> jack-of-all-trades, if you I was going to say, wow. He wears one. many hats. He does. One of the main players in this scandal was jack molinas who in the early 50s was one of the best players in the ivy league after the ivies he played in the nba and was one of its top scorers for a moment but just months into his career in 1954 he got suspended for betting on games Ah, come on against the rule molinas had connections to the mafia including vincent the chin gigante of the genovese crime family played by Joe Pesci in Casino. That's a great movie, and he's terrifying in that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was known as the point-shaving kingpin. Molinas' partner was a crooked bookie by the name of Joe Hacken, who had been part of a previous point-shaving scandal. Molinas traveled from college to college campus, bribing students with cash and sometimes even sex workers. He offered players up to
0: $1,000 to throw a game. Always say no. Just say no. Don't work with the mob when you're in college sports, man. Don't work with the mob when you're in college. <laughs> Don't do it.
1: Now, at their peak, Molinas and his partners were bringing in about 50 grand per week. Okay. Between, right? <laughs> Elena's like, maybe, no. I'm Just like, You know what? <laughs> Between 1957 and 1961, Molinas infiltrated about 27 collegiate programs, including St. John's and the University of Alabama and he had managed to rig at least 43 games. This resulted in the arrest of 37 players. Wow. How is it that so many of them were like making this poorly of a choice? Because money, 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 oh. money. But there were also innocent casualties that caught up in Molinas' scam. One of those was future Hall of Famer Connie Hawkins, who had met with Molinas on various occasions. There's no evidence that he was ever involved in the rigging of games, but because of his association with Molinas, he was shut out of the pros for seven years. Eek. Yeah. Now, St. Joseph's of Philadelphia finished third in the 61 NCAA tournament, but they were stripped of that finish because some of their players were involved in controlling point spreads. Wow. So this is like ripple effect too. Like You just throw it all away for the money of it all. In 1963, Molinas was convicted for his role in the scheme and was sentenced to 10 to 15 years in prison. He served five years and became the inspiration for the Burt Reynolds film, The Longest Yard. Oh, look at that. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. When he got out of prison, he moved to LA where he got caught up in trafficking pornography. One afternoon, die hard. (laughs) They do. One afternoon in 1975, Jack Molinas was shot in the head. It was assumed that it was a mob hit and he was just 43 years old. That is rough in every way that it can be rough. This whole story is bonkers. Jeez.
0: Six. Also on our list at number six is the University of North Carolina's academic fraud scandal. In 2014, an internal investigation by UNC found that for nearly two decades, the school was involved in manipulating students' grades. Many of the students happened to be on the men's basketball and football teams. Imagine that. Coincidence, I assume. It all came to light in 2011, when a journalist for the Raleigh News and Observer found discrepancies in a transcript belonging to a football player at UNC. The school conducted an independent investigation, which found over the course of 18 years and 200 classes, ready, at least 3000 students were involved in classes that required no attendance and reportedly didn't require tests Or assignments. (laughs) Were they just like hangouts? Just there. You don't have to come. We're just hanging out in math and building B. Okay. We're just, you know, you don't have to come. We're not going to give you any assignments. You don't have to take a test. It's fine. But if you want to come and just hang out, you can. Yeah. Geometry is down the hall. You don't have to go though, but play football, you know? And it all took place in the African and Afro-American studies department, whose students were mostly athletes, many of whom played on the men's basketball and football teams. The athletic department at UNC is one of the most high-profile and lucrative ones in the country. Michael Jordan's one of its alumni, so kind of a big deal if they get penalized. Yeah, (laughs) one would say. A little bit. The faculty member who created the so-called paper classes... Stop. ...reportedly created them out of sympathy for the students who were not, quote, the best and the brightest. I appreciate
1: it, sister. She was
0: also a big fan of UNC sports, which that's also just... I I feel like that's so insulting because it's assuming that they have absolutely no nothing there's nothing that you can get from them. Well, and it's
1: like maybe you're not the best and the brightest, but with a little help and tutoring and stuff that's like that. That's what I mean.
0: Like you're taking away their potential. Yeah. And some people do strive to achieve. And it's like if, if somebody tells you, you have no, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to do well at this. So just so we, shut we up we and won't play with that ball. Right. Of course, they're just going to be like, all right, that's what I'm, that's what I'm good apparently, at. Apparently, that's what I'm only good at. Like let them have potential. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe teach. It's yeah. a good thought since it's your job, especially at college. Yeah. Well, UNC's learning specialist turned whistleblower, Mary Willingham, told CNN that paper classes were openly discussed with some faculty members as a way to keep athletes eligible to play. Wow. Former UNC football player Michael McAdoo told CNN in 2014 that he was forced into majoring in African-American studies, the department at the heart of the scandal. Ultimately, the NCAA found that although athletes, quote, likely benefited from the so-called paper classes, the school didn't violate any rules, mostly because the classes were open to all students. The school wasn't penalized, but four employees were fired and five more were disciplined i love the loophole
1: they found there it's like the well, loophole everyone
0: list. was invited so you could all come to the party you just didn't choose to exactly so I, don't, I just hate that they completely cut off these people's like any potential they had mm-hmm, i agree it's rude
1: Who knew that there were so many? I mean, probably a lot of people, but I didn't know there was this many. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I had no idea. I had a feeling when I heard like college sports, I'm like, I bet there's a lot of mob stuff in here because like gambling on sports and all that. I just felt like there was going to be, but... I didn't know such high-ranking
1: mobsters I know. Were involved here. Seriously, I actually didn't expect the mob to be involved in this in any way, shape, or form. Oh, yeah. You said Henry Hill, and I was like, um, excuse me? Uh, hello there? One now? That's crazy. I wonder if there's any more mobs on your side of the list. I'm
0: waiting for the
1: person I'm thinking is probably number one. I feel like you're right, so put that in your back pocket for
2: now. They better be. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm Sarah Turney, host of Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. In 2020, I used social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and finding that the truth may be even harder to locate than the person. Who forced a famed explorer to lose his way? What did a missing Hollywood starlet leave behind? And how could the heiress to a Chicago candy fortune just vanish? Every Thursday on Disappearances, join me for a deeper look into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Tracking timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the actual truth. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Disappearances. Listen free only on Spotify. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even the speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. This is what you love about the NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Five.
0: All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of college sports crimes. Starting off the
1: second half of our list is Nevin Shapiro and the University of Miami scandal. Miami native and lifelong University of Miami Hurricanes fan, Nevin Shapiro, was a booster for the school's football team. Over the span of eight years, he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on parties and sex workers for the players and potential recruits. But his lavish lifestyle soon came crashing down. In 2011, a Yahoo Sports investigation revealed that Nevin Shapiro was dealing out quote-unquote benefits to players on the Miami Hurricanes football team. Some of these gifts included money, cars, and visits from sex workers. Shapiro admitted to inviting top tier recruits to his house where he would encourage them to play for the school. Shapiro also admitted to putting a bounty on some players, meaning that he offered money to players to take out an opponent. Guys, it's college sports. Like, everyone needs to calm down. Guys, It's literally a game. Calm down. Like, imagine if we bet on Uno like we bet on college sports. Honestly, it's like wild. Calm down, everybody. Unreal to me. Not that big a deal. Crazy. He claimed that up to seven of the school's coaches knew what he was up to. Some of them even took the recruits to Shapiro's house. In total, 72 athletes were implicated and accused of taking in cash and gifts. And if you're wondering where Shapiro got all his money from, in 2010, he was convicted and sentenced to 20 years in prison for his role in a $930 million Ponzi scheme. What? I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. Please do. $930 million Ponzi scheme. Uh, What? i thought that no. was the money in the whole world to be yeah, honest with I you say, i thought that's what? what we were all working <laughs> we were with all working with here like that's <laughs> insane wow in 2013 after a lengthy investigation the ncaa put the miami hurricanes football team on a three-year probation and several coaches were penalized in 2020 nevin shapiro was released from federal prison seven years earlier than expected but he's currently under home confinement Upon his release, he issued a statement to Yahoo Sports in which he said, quote, This has been a life-altering experience. I have never stopped thinking about my victims. I'm looking forward to spending time with my parents, who I need to care for. I'm looking forward to moving forward with my life. Okay, Devin. <laughs> Alrighty, Nev. Sure.
0: 4. Landing at number four this week is University of Southern California's vacated wins. In 2010, NCAA placed severe penalties on the University of Southern California when it found out that a couple of star sports players had received improper gifts from agents. I love all the gifting
1: going on here.
0: All the improper gifts too. Everything's inappropriate, all of it. I wonder if there's a list of what you can receive. I know it's like you can give me a, a like a candy bar. Yeah, please, do. The investigation into USC's NCAA violations stemmed from a 2006 Yahoo Sports story about the school's star football player, Reggie Bush. I know him. You do. I know why you know him, too. (laughs) Yep. Bush was given gifts that included being provided with housing, air travel, a car, and other benefits, which were reportedly valued at about $300,000. All righty. Yeah. Basketball player O.J. Mayo also received improper cash and gifts during his recruitment process to the school. After the investigation's findings, the NCAA cited the school for lack of institutional control. It resulted in the football team getting barred from bowl games for two seasons. They also had to vacate all wins in which Reggie Bush played. Ooh, that's this, a
1: bad hit for like everybody else on the really team. That's really
0: rough. That stinks. Because everybody else gets punished. Right. This included the team's Orange Bowl victory. 30 scholarships were also taken away from the team. The NCAA also penalized the women's tennis team because a player used a university credit card to make $7,000 worth of international phone calls. Who are you calling? <laughs> I need some seven thousand dollars I remember when I was little and they had those um they had those like psychic hotlines on oh, TV. Yes, girl. That they would like call this number and talk to, you know, this person. For just the low price of a hundred dollars per minute. Well, and when we were little, we would like call the number. Did and you be, like, really? Fun, la, la, la. And then my mom and dad would get the bill and be like, What are you doing? <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah. That's hilarious. It happened only a couple of times because I learned my lesson. But
1: I feel like I pretty much grew up in like the period of time where every, that wasn't can a I talk <laughs> where everything was like unlimited yeah so, I know you got like just ushered into that yeah I never really had like a super scary phone bill
0: oh yeah and it definitely happened later with the cell phones before unlimited was the mm-hmm. thing when you go over your minutes Ooh, did you ever get up to seven thousand dollars though I did not I All can right. say that with full <laughs> so you're not the craziest person out there Well, the school imposed its own penalties on the basketball team, which included having to vacate all victories from the 2006 to 2007 season. At the time, the penalties issued by the NCAA were the harshest given to any college since Southern Methodist's death penalty. I remember that. Reggie, (laughs) I remember that. I remember (laughs) that from a few counts ago. Reggie Bush ended up handing back his Heisman Trophy, the only player to ever do so. Even O.J. Simpson didn't have to give his back, which... Wow. Come on. We should probably retroactively take that. We should look that over again. That's a little ridiculous. That's a lot. And it should be noted that the school pretty much turned its back on Reggie Bush. They even took down his jersey that had been on display at the Trojans' home stadium. But at least he went on to have a successful career in the NFL and is now a sports commentator with over 2 million followers on Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. I guess that's a win. I <laughs> think win-win for everybody. Whoop-whoop. Three.
1: Number three on our countdown of college sports crimes is the Baylor basketball scandal. Baylor University basketball players Carlton Dotson and Patrick Dennehy were not just teammates, they were friends too. But that friendship came to a sudden and tragic end, one that would unveil a sinister scandal at the school. Ooh. In 2002, Patrick Dennehy transferred to Baylor University but was unable to play during his first year. This is when he met his roommate, Carlton Dotson. They became fast friends and bonded over music and movies. In 2003, 21-year-old Patrick Dennehy was finally preparing for his first season with Baylor's basketball team. But that summer, there were reports that Dennehy and Carlton Dotson feared for their safety. Uh. The two friends told Baylor officials that they had about $300 stolen from their apartment. And this is around the time they went out and bought some guns, two pistols, and a rifle. Dennehy was reported missing on June 19, 2003. Oh, no. On July 25th, his body was found badly decomposed and his death was ruled a homicide. He died of gunshot wounds to the head. What? Carlton Dotson reportedly told his cousin that he had shot Dennehy during an argument while they were firing guns. Oh. And the, can you imagine? Like, Oh no. You're just super good friends and then this happens? Oh my goodness. In the aftermath of the murder, Baylor coach Dave Bliss got caught on tape trying to persuade members of the basketball team to portray Dennehy <gasps> as a drug dealer, hoping to save the school's reputation and his. Are you kidding me? So he was like, since I'm still here today, let's tarnish this
0: dead kid's reputation just so that we look better. So the school looks... This is what I'm saying, like... This stuff is too, too much. It really they is. They take it too seriously. This is insane. Again, I say, it is a game. It's a game. It's none of it actually matters, really. Like it's fun, It's it. it watch it, cheer for it, get invested Have in fun. it. Have fun. But man. But don't take it this far. Boundaries,
1: everybody. Establish boundaries. them. Yeah. Well, Bliss could be heard saying that Dennehy couldn't refute the accusations because he was dead.
0: Oh my God. First of all, Double thank down. you, Captain Obvious, and second, are you're the worst. You're a horrible person. Your last name should not be Bliss. It sounds way too whimsical. I know. That's actually a very good point. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so
1: much. Within weeks, a university inquiry uncovered that Bliss had been involved in paying Dennehy's tuition costs and other expenses. As we know by now, this is a violation of the NCAA rules. The inquiry also found that failed drug tests had been covered up. And on August 8th, 2003, Dave Bliss resigned and he was basically banished from NCAA competitions for 10 years. The school's athletic director, Tom Stanton, also resigned. In 2005, just days before he was set to stand trial for the murder of Patrick Dennehy, Carlton Dotson pleaded guilty to killing Dennehy. He was sentenced to 35 years in prison.
0: Wow. That last one, I was not prepared for. It totally just took a crazy turn. I didn't know anything about that. Neither did I. I mean, I know I'm not like super up on college sports crimes here. This is one whoa. you would think you'd hear about. That's a really wild one. and so sad. It is. It's like very tragic. And, you know, we're making
1: our way downtown to more tragic events. We sure are.
0: We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of college sports crimes. and number two is Ed Martin and the Fab Five. Here comes another college sports booster to corrupt a team. This time we're heading to the University of Michigan and the story of Eddie Ed Martin. This one involves the FBI and the IRS, and it's one of the most infamous scandals in college basketball history. Makes sense that it would be (laughs) if it involves the FBI (laughs) and the IRS. Yeah, you don't want them involved. Two of the most feared organizations. (laughs) Before we get into Eddie Ed Martin, let's start with the Fab Five. In 1991, the Michigan Fab Five were considered the best college recruiting class in the country. They were Chris Webber, Jalen Rose, Juwan Howard, Jimmy King, and Ray Jackson, all freshmen. In the late 90s, it was revealed that several members of the Michigan basketball team, including Chris Weber of the Fab Five, received payments and gifts from booster Ed Martin. And this was while they were still amateurs. No gifts allowed. Stop with the gifts. Ed Martin was a bookmaker and retired Ford electrician, but he was also known for being a basketball junkie. Martin was also someone who helped underprivileged youth in the Detroit area. One of those kids was future Fab Five member Chris Weber, who Martin started helping in 1988. Michigan University started an investigation into Martin's connection with its basketball team after the school found out that some of its players had been meeting with him. The Detroit Free Press reported in 1997 that Martin had given at least 100 grand each to Chris Webber and another player, each, each. And then in 1999, the FBI and IRS got involved, which resulted in the raids of several homes in the Detroit area. They discovered that Ed Martin was not just giving away money and gifts to basketball players but he was also involved in an illegal gambling ring. I so it's am shocked. Just getting worse. Martin pleaded guilty to a federal money laundering and conspiracy charge and admitted that he gave four players, including Chris Weber, a total of 600 grand. Why are they all just like throwing away their kashish like Right? This? It's like, what is going Put on? Put it into savings. Put it into Invest. one of those accounts where you can't touch. <laughs> yeah. Martin said that he expected the players to pay him back when they turned pro and that the cash was meant as a loan, so trying to hide his money. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Chris Weber's involvement with Ed Martin resulted in all of the Fab Five's wins being vacated. They also had their names and achievements erased from the record books. Not worth it, everybody. No. The basketball program was placed on four years probation, and they also lost four scholarships. Chris Weber was banned from all association with the university until 2013. Just a couple of months before Ed Martin was due to be sentenced, he died at the age of 69. Wow, you're a rough one.
1: I feel like what we've learned from this whole entire thing is that like you're never gonna get away with this. You're not. It might last a while, but you're gonna be robbed of all, or not robbed, you're gonna be stripped of all your achievements. It's gonna
0: catch up eventually and it's gonna be so bad for you. It is. Not worth it.
2: One.
1: And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 college sports crimes. Jerry Sandusky. That's exactly the one I was waiting for and glad he's number one. So obviously before we get into this crime, just a heads up that it might be triggering for some listeners because we're going to be talking about sexual abuse toward minors. Ugh. So let's get into this horrific story that put Penn State on the international stage for all the wrong reasons. In 2011, Jerry Sandusky was arrested and charged with sexually abusing 10 boys over a 15-year period. Monster. Yeah. Jerry Sandusky, the monster, was born in Washington, Pennsylvania in 1944. He's married with six adopted children. From 1969 until 1999, he was a coach for the Penn State football team. Post-1999, he stayed on at Penn State as a volunteer. In 1977, he set up a group foster home for quote-unquote troubled boys called The Second Mile. It eventually became a nonprofit organization that helped young people achieve their potential. So basically, it was bit like him trying to hide and be like, oh, I'm such a good person. Yeah, of course. Because he was not. In 1998, the mother of an 11-year-old boy reported to Penn State Police and the Pennsylvania Department of Public Welfare that Sandusky had showered with her son. The boy was a member of Sandusky's Second Mile program.
0: Ooh, I'm so angry for that mother. Me
1: too. Sandusky admitted to the investigators that he had showered with the boy and acknowledged that it was wrong to do so, and he promised not to do it again. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I pinky swear. Whoops. Whoops no charges were filed at the time and the university police chief instructed that the case be closed that's outrageous unreal outrageous you're gonna get so infuriated listening to this in 2000 a janitor at penn state saw sandusky performing oral sex on a boy another janitor said they witnessed sandusky leaving a shower room hand in hand with a boy And then in 2002, another witness told the coach of Penn State's football team, Joe Paterno, that he witnessed Sandusky sexually abusing a 10-year-old in the showers. Paterno reported the incident to the athletic director, Tim Curley, but no investigation was launched. Because all we wanna do is win games, it doesn't matter. How was no investigation launched? Like you're destroying these children's lives. Sports. Around 2006, Sandusky started sexually abusing another boy from his Second Mile program. But in 2008, the boy broke off contact with Sandusky and the boy's mother reported the incident to his school. The school's principal reported it to the police. Finally, somebody is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Seriously, every, and these parents are trying. The parents, like, of geez. course. But it's like, no people one's listening. In the administrative positions are not doing anything Nothing. until this principal, thank God. Not long after that, the Pennsylvania Attorney General's office opened an investigation against Sandusky. On November 5th, 2011, following a lengthy grand jury investigation, Jerry Sandusky was arrested for inappropriate sexual advances or assaults on eight boys from 1994 to
0: 2009, but he was released on bail. That kind of stuff infuriates me.
1: It's like, so he can just go do that yeah. again? Which what?
0: it's like they usually do.
1: The grand jury report stated that over a period of 15 years, Sandusky preyed on boys connected to his second mile organization. He groomed boys by giving them gifts and offering them trips to football games. On November 9th, Penn State fired its longtime coach, Joe Paterno, and Penn State president, Graham Spanier. November 14th, Sandusky appeared on Bob Costa's NBC show, claiming that he was innocent and the only thing that he did wrong was shower with kids. Okay.
0: I, what? And if that's the only thing you're doing wrong, that's still incredibly wrong. That's like, the only thing I did wrong was shower with your children as what? a grown adult man. What? How did... Oh, oh, I could not.
1: There's no words. I could not. There are no words. Then in early December, Sandusky was arrested again on rape charges, among other charges. In June of 2012, Sandusky was found guilty of 45 counts of child sexual abuse and convicted of molesting 10 boys. He was sentenced to 30 to 60 years in prison, but in my opinion, he should have been locked away forever. A
0: billion years. Like get one billion years plus infinity. Because you can tell too, he doesn't actually think he did anything wrong. Just him sitting there going, well, it just, I, I, like, I just showered. Which is so sick. Like, why is that wrong? Unreal. Like he really doesn't understand that, that's wild. It and is. that's so dangerous. Ugh, I He's can't. such a predator.
1: In 2013, Penn State agreed to pay $59.7 million to 26 sexual abuse victims in exchange for an end to their claims against the university. Unreal again. Joe Paterno died at the age of 85 in 2012. Graham Spanier, Tim Curley, and Gary Schultz, Penn State's then vice president, all served between two to three months behind bars for child endangerment. Jerry Sandusky is now 78 years old and will not be eligible for parole until at least 2042. He'll be approximately 98 years old. Good.
0: Wow. Yeah. that th- Jerry Sandusky is 100% number one. That's that the one is, I was waiting for. It's just so
1: heartbreaking to think that so many young boys' lives were just absolutely like ruined by oh, this yeah. man.
0: And I remember when it came out, like when that whole thing happened, it was huge. Oh yeah. It was, it was all wild. over the place. And people were trying to like, it, whenever it's like connected to sports in any way, it unfortunately gets this thing where it's like. But, you know, the sports of it all. Yeah, and it's, it's like, like, what no, about the lives of These are of actual all. children who were sexually abused and raped. So it's like, we can forget about the football for a minute. Seriously.
1: That one was just heartbreaking. I can't think of any that were left off because I
0: i don't have I'm a great pool to pull from. So I can, I'm not <laughs> a great, like, you know, uh, authority on this. But I'd say the Parcast research gods did a great job. I think so, too. Especially college sports, I don't. Those are the only ones I knew, and I. there were some I didn't know. Hats so. off to you, podcast well done. research gods. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you
1: like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter.
0: And if you like us, which I hope you do, you can listen to Morbid anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast or on Twitter at Amorbid Podcast.
1: Keep it weird until Monday and just play and watch the sports button nothing more. The end. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from
0: Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristina Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Research by Chelsea Wood. Fact checking by Cara Macerline. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristina Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Alina Urquhart.